All right, and we are live. Welcome to episode number 18. In this episode, we're going to talk about things that I will call the happiness equation. I have with me James Uske, the 2015 Challenge Champ. James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Coach. It's uh, it's an honor to interview you uh, on your own podcast. So Awesome. So, so the way we're going to handle this today, I had originally recorded this podcast, and it was just me talking to me about mathematical equations, and it got uh, a little short uh, uh, of nothing sort of boring and <laughs> almost uh, bordering on insanity. So I decided to bring in a man that I respect, who I, I know is highly analytical, a man who's helped me behind the scenes in football doing data analytics, who's constantly, I'd say in a very positive way, questioned things about the program, made me think deeply about the things that I've done in a, I'll say in a in a rational sense. It's not purely emotions with this guy. So what better person to have than James Uske to talk about these equations? So to just set the stage for what we're going to do, uh, this, this was inspired by a podcast that I heard between Tim Ferriss and Chip Conley. And Chip Conley was a guy that I had read about a long time ago in a book called Peak. And as he was talking to Chip Conley, he basically broke down life into four basic equations. So what James is going to do, or Jimmy's going to do, is he's going to ask me these questions He's going to interview me in a style and just get my thoughts on what do I think about these equations and how they fit into either football, gym, uh, the gym, work, work itself, or anything. So we're just going to take it one by one, and uh, Jimmy, I'm going to turn it over to you. Excellent. Thanks, Coach, for that intro. So I'll throw equation one at you, and so you just start wherever you want to start with it. But equation one, despair equals suffering minus meaning what does that mean to you so let's just take it uh, as a, in a numbers perspective first mm-hmm. so let's just say that uh first of all in everything in life there's going to be suffering right so let's just no matter what you do there's going to be suffering involved so that that despair number let's say that suffering is always a seven right let's say that suffering is always a seven now that despair number can be raised or lowered depending on the meaning that you put into it, into the stuff that you're doing. So if my meaning is a one, well, then that's seven minus one, my despair is a six. But if my meaning is a five, then I lower that despair down to a two. So for me, I'm thinking about, let's talk about it in the gym first. It's not fun to, to bench press as much as you possibly can to the point of exhaustion. And maybe for some people it is. Uh, it's not fun to rip out uh, as many chin-ups as you can in a minute. But if you can put some meaning behind it, or I'm getting mm-hmm. jacked up, I'm increasing my bench press, there's not as much despair in it. On a football field, nobody genuinely loves going to football camp. Nobody loves running sprints. Nobody loves doing an inside zone drill. But if there is meaning behind it, I'm doing this for game day. I'm practicing every day for a game. Then it limits that despair. Again, there's going to be suffering. And then I'll take it the opposite way. And you could relate to this, Jimmy, uh, sitting on a bus for three <laughs> hours going into an out of Manhattan for a job that you hate. Now there's no meeting. But if you're sitting on that bus three hours a day into, into an out of Manhattan for a job that you love and there's something behind it, well, then it's worth it. And, and I'll say for me, uh, uh, up until not too recently, I was, uh, <laughs> I'll say up until not too many weeks ago, I was uh, driving in my car a long way across Staten Island in horrible traffic there and back. And there was suffering involved, but it was to coach football, doing something that I love with people that I loved. And that, that traffic was worth it. I wouldn't sit in traffic for anything, but for that, it was. So for mm-hmm. me, you got to get that meaning up 
because the suffering is going to be there. And the higher you get that meaning, the less despair you're going to have. Yep. And I think you touched on a, on a point that I can relate to there, coach, in the gym. You know, and this kind of goes to advanced training, right? So to me, the gym was always a chore. It's always been a chore. Um, I never liked going, never liked lifting weights, but I sort of forced myself to get there to start working out with you and, and your crew. And that gave it meaning to me, right? Being with you guys in the gym gives me meaning. Being around all those psychopaths gives me meaning. So that's, that is what allowed that number to, I guess you can say, drop significantly, you know, just by having such a high meaning associated with it. And then there's times where you're coaching football, and I, be honest with you, my attendance at the gym dips to well, well, well below <laughs> what it is when I'm, you know, when you're in off season, right? So there's that, uh, I can understand 100% what you're saying about that meaning part of it. And then, you know, work itself too, you know, you, you, you touched on it sitting on that bus for hours, sitting on that train for hours, getting to a job that's, you know, not one that you look forward to day to day, but that meaning side to it, right? You wake up, you know, it's almost like you can break meaning downs into multiple parts too. Like you can take parts of these equations, coach, and maybe even have subcomponents to it, right? Because meaning could be a few things, right? I'm willing to put myself through that suffering because of, you know, what it is that I want to, be able to allow myself to do with my family, with my friends, with my life, with my hobbies, all that stuff, you know, it, it could take on many different forms, right? Meaning so I think it's definitely interesting to think about um, wh what you're willing and what your numbers are. I guess everyone's number could be different too. what you're willing to tolerate um, on that suffering side and, and meaning side. So, you know, I think it's very interesting uh, food for thought. I, I get this but you covered a bunch of good things there. So let's, I want to get back to the gym with you um, yep. for the first one was with you, the meaning, was it more about the camaraderie or more about the result of the work that you were putting in? Like, was it your deadlift numbers, your PowerPoint numbers, or was it, you know, banging heads with a guy like Torres and, and Sarno <laughs> and Trunzo? I, I, I wouldn't say the numbers coach. I think the numbers was a re, was nice. It was satisfying, you know, from, just seeing the output of my hard work that, that helped verify it. But, you know, the, I've always been around, you know, the athletes, right. And, and that, that's just something I've always wanted to be strive to be my whole life. And, you know, unfortunately I'm a five foot six, 150 pound athlete. So, you know, there's not too many options for me um, besides just busting my hump and, you know, just being around those kind of guys in the gym, you know, in the locker room, like all that stuff, just, it, it gave it extra meaning to me because that's something I, I always wanted. Um, I, something I always wanted to be a part of. Um, and, you know, th that's what really put me over the edge. And, and then after a while, it, it started to prove to me, hey, I can hang with these guys. You know, if I do work hard, I can put up the numbers. I, I can, you know, win a challenge, you know, belt for the year. You know, I can do these things. Um, over time, you know, that confidence had to grow. It wasn't there at first. So, you know, over time, it, it took a lot. Right. And, and it was all that meaning that kept me getting back there. Right. Kept me, you know, back in that gym and working hard um, to accomplish those goals. So. Yeah. And I, I like the other part where you talked about maybe sub component components of meeting or yep. the other thing you hit on was about suffering and what you're willing, yep. like how much you're willing to suffer. Yep. And I almost think if you're able to embrace the suffering, 
for example, uh, pushing a prowler when it's negative five degrees out and now it's not suffering, it's not, or maybe it's not a 10 in your book. Maybe mm-hmm. now that suffering's a four. Well, then that despair goes down. So yep. I, I like the way you're saying it. It's not only about adding meaning. Maybe you can embrace, as they say, I think in the armed forces, I can't remember which one, maybe it's the air force, embrace yep. the suck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now you've lowered that suffering now and despair is a lot less. Absolutely. I agree. Now, now, in our environment, let's say in sport or maybe even the gym, and we have a bunch of guys that play mind games. Would you think that they can increase their opponent's despair by either taking away the meaning of what they're doing, like a mind game, or increasing their level of suffering? Have you seen that in advanced training? I wouldn't say that would really apply to suffering. I, I would think of it maybe in other contexts. I, if anything, that might increase the meaning for someone else, right? So <laughs> if I'll be honest, Coach, if – you know, seeing or, you know, seeing a guy, a big guy in our group, let's take Sarno, right, or, you know, a Trunzo or a Teddy, right, they putting up big numbers, right, and that's not going to, you know, make me, you know, not want to do it. It's going to make, it's going to give me more meaning to work harder. It's going to make me want to go after it more um, and try to find ways that I could, you know, manipulate things or work things to my advantage. So if anything, it's only going to give me more motivation, more meaning behind what I'm trying to do. And ultimately that should knock down that suffering, you know, that total number there um, by increasing the meaning there. You know, that's, that's kind of how I think of it. You know, I mean, you have all these guys that love to talk, right? We have a lot of talkers. Um, I'm not one of them. That's for sure. I, I like to let my actions do the talking. That's just the kind of guy I am. But, you know, when I hear the talk, it really, it doesn't phase me. Right. And I know guys could easily point to me and call me this small guy in the group. And if anything, that just drives up my, my meaning that, that just gives me more motivation. So, you know, I, I think I look at it, I look at it from that perspective. Well, we got to take a step back here. Uh, <laughs> I, I know you don't necessarily do a lot of trash talking, but you are, uh, I'd say in the top echelon of mind game players in advanced training. So let's not just pretend that you show up, do your work and go home. <laughs> now back to that point, it's a question I've asked many people on this podcast, game of Thrones. Who mm. do you see yourself as what character are you? Um, I think it's, it's always been pretty clear to me. I am Tyrion Lannister, the imp, um, not only, <laughs> in in physical uh nature um but really what Tyrion I always felt does was use his mind to not only get him advantages in situations and in relationships but also to get himself out of situations that he may be in a bind in and you know he he knows physicality is not gonna win him you know any personal battles he knows, you know, he, he's got the short end of the stick on that end, you know, uh, no pun intended. But I, I think he uses his mind. He's able to, you know, work that in um, to everything he does to try to outsmart his opponent or outwit them, you know, use certain things, use, you know, language, use, you know, anything he can to, you know, get his opponent off guard or maybe just thinking about things differently than how they should be. Right. So. I've always saw myself in that light, and 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 Tyrion, uh, he's always been one to to be loyal um, to those he loves too. You know, his brother, he went, you know, he literally 
was willing to die for his brother, you know, and if I had to choose one guy, I don't care how in or out of shape he may be, but I'm going down with Frank Torres any day of the week. Um, I was going to ask <laughs> Frank Torres was your Jamie Lannister. He exactly is. That is my uh, guy from day one, coach. Um, and he would, I would go down with him in any foxhole, no matter what the, the odds against us that are, that are stacked against us are. And for those not in the inner, inner circle, uh, <laughs> Frank Torres came out of retirement today, with, <laughs> uh, at least in group text form. And he's been taking his shots at almost everyone past and present in the Love program, it. letting them know what's up. Yeah. So I, I want to stop this conversation, mm-hmm. get into the next equation because yes. it's going to link back to what you just said. So let's get to let's, the next equation. Let's do it. So equation two, coach, anxiety equals uncertainty multiplied by powerlessness. What are your okay. thoughts? Can you repeat that one more time so the, the studio audience can hear? <laughs> anxiety equals uncertainty multiplied by powerlessness. All right. So for me, I am a big anxiety guy. Mm-hmm. I, am, I do not think about the past and, and fret over things that happen. Not too much anyway. Aside from doing like a, a root cause analysis, I never go back and say, oh, my God, what, why did I do that? What should I have done? I'm more of a person who worries about what's going to happen in the future. So I want to ask you this question. Are you someone who has anxiety or are you someone that lives more in the past? You know, grow, it's, it's weird, right, Coach, because growing up, I was – I always felt I was calm, cool, and collected, you know, walking into any situation. And then uh, I feel like as I got older, yeah, and maybe we, you know, you linking back to the equation, the uncertainty of maybe life, you know, being able to understand there are things out of your control sometimes, um, or things that you can't fully control, I should say. And over time, I felt my anxiety you know, multiply, you know, as I become a professional, as I've gotten developed, you know, strong relationships in life and having to take on more and more responsibility, it, it's something that is built up in me. So I can definitely relate to where you're coming from. Even though I try not to look, I try not to show any anxiety. I, I think I spend more energy trying to hide that inside than, you know, just letting it be, but, you know, definitely, uh, I definitely can feel it. So let's talk about this as it relates to advanced training and the powerlessness part. So you're going to go into a challenge, and this Mm -hmm. is kind of a a real scenario. You're going to go into a challenge with someone who you think is going to beat you at something. Mm -hmm. But you have figured out a way to regain power by putting the challenge in your control. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the – uh, one of your epic moments was a farmer's walk roll. You actually <laughs> rode the farmer's walk versus carrying across the field. Yep. So I guess my question to you is, in your mind, what was a scenario where you think you actually were able to pull this off the best, where you got your power back in an unpowerful situation? Yeah, I think that's one example. You know, I can maybe shed light on it briefly. So you know, there's that uncertainty part to this equation, right, Coach? But in your challenge system, the challenge, you know, the, the champion can't set the challenge, right? So if you're going after the guy, you have less uncertainty on your end. So, you know, granted, I may be going against bigger, faster, stronger guys, but, you know, to reduce that anxiety, I definitely know I have to hone in, 
you know, what can I, what can I be certain of here? What I'm certain of is I'm able to set the challenge. Right. And, you know, there's many things that go into that, you know, they have to accept it. Right. You know, you can't just throw something that's fully in your favor, but, you know, going back to maybe my Tyrion Lannister point, I tried to frame the challenge in a certain way to get the person to accept it. So, you know, I framed it in a way that, Hey, you know, you can, you know, you, you do farmer's walk with your left hand. So in my mind, hey, making him think that I think the advantage to me is using his left hand, right? So I put that out there and then I said, I'll do it any way I want to do it. You don't worry about me. But I put that little brain ninja out there thinking he's just focused on, huh, he thinks my left hand's weaker than my right. And he, he's not thinking about me pulling off some little trick, you know, on the side. So... I try to use that to my advantage to certain that situation a little more for me because I know I can roll this thing instead of carrying it. Right. It's a big farmer walk. I can't, you know, I don't have the grip strength like uh, Joe Sarno, who I was going against, who weighs a hundred pounds more than me. So, you know, he's thinking, all right, he thinks my left hand's weaker. I'm going to take it with my left hand, crush it, which he did. And then what did I do? I got on it and I rolled it. I think I went first, but you know, long story short, I lost, but it was close. And it would have been it was a lot closer than what it would have been if I lifted it on my own and versus him lifting it on his own. You know, so I tried to certain that situation up by, you know, putting things, you know, by by taking what I know is is certain and using that, you know, in, in the situation. And think about it the other way. You did lose that battle. Yes. But you you won a war for the rest of the year. Yeah. You've increased everyone else's anxiety. Because yep. now they were always uncertain with what you were going to do. Everything I said, they were uncertain about. It. <laughs> they were trying they, to poke holes in everything. They thought everything was a mind game. Yep. So even if now you were telling the truth, yes. they always thought twice about, is this guy trying to play a game with me? What, exactly. I have to mark every word that this guy just said because he might be messing with me on this challenge. Exactly. So, yeah, and I, and I love to think about things as not just a one-time incident. You know, good gamblers don't make a bet, lose five buck walk, bucks, and walk away from the table. They're playing right. the odds. You yep. upped your odds. Yep. So, so uh, I want to get back to, okay, we're in this equation. How does it relate to anything? Let's just take uh, work. You're going in for a job interview. There's massive uncertainty. Yep. You don't know if you're going to get the job. You don't know if the interviewer's cousin is the next person walking through the door. You don't know anything. So for me, I like to think about a systems-based approach versus an outcomes approach. That, for me, gives me a little more power, and it gives me more certainty. So for example, when I go in for an interview, it's not about getting the job. To me, it's about how do I get better at interviewing? No matter what happens when I walk out of that job interview, I'm going to be better for the next interview that I get. Same thing with uh, coaching football. Look, I, we don't know how this game's going to turn out. Anything can happen. It could be a bad call. A good player can get hurt. Anything can happen. But we have to work on the process. We have to make sure that everything that we're doing, we're trusting in the process that we're, we're, we're doing, and then the outcome will take care of itself. The score will take care of itself. And I, I relate that back to the gym too. You know, Man, I don't know. Am I going to PR today on deadlift? Who knows? But I can't go in there and change anything that I do from what I normally lift. Mm -hmm. Every time I lift, I have to take the same approach, the same setup. Act as if I'm not. Maybe I'm not doing the weight that I'm going to do for my my PR. But when I'm deadlifting, every time I rep, I'm acting as if I'm pulling that biggest weight that I ever have off the floor. Mm -hmm. So for me, that that certainty is it's in the process. If I follow the process, I've gained certainty, mm -hmm. and that is absolutely what cuts down on my anxiety. And it's the only right. thing that cuts down my anxiety. 
Yep. And, you know, you, you touched on a, a question I wanted to ask you, right? And, you know, ultimately this, this equation right here, coach, it, it's a multiplication, right? So more uncertainty, more powerlessness, it's, it's going to amplify your anxiety, right? So, you know, I was going to ask you, you know, you're going into a big week of football, you know, you got a big game coming up, you know, how important, what are some subcomponents of uncertainty or, or certainty, right. That you could use to lower that, that level of uncertainty, right. Is it, is it things like pre preparedness, you know, things like that, that you have to really take into account. Is there multiple things that you kind of check off or, or think about to lower that uncertainty or lower that powerlessness? Uh, yeah. Well, let's take it from a, a defensive perspective. And it's something that we would mm-hmm. always preach with our guys and, Look, there's more than one way to win a football game. So people may say this is stupid. Some people may say this is smart. It, it depends. You know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. But for me, mm-hmm. offenses can do whatever they want to do. And it happened to me a few times in my 20 uh, year career where you prepare for X. You've watched film. You have every tendency that these guys are going to have. And then you get in the game and they run a completely different offense. And now you've prepared for something that didn't exist. So for us to increase our power and to decrease our, cert- our uncertainty, we would say, okay, no matter what, every single practice, we're going to work on pursuit, tackling, and turnovers. Pursuit, tackling, and turnovers. They can do whatever they want. But when we come through this door, we're going to be in control of those three things. You know, if, uh, football, if we read our keys and we do those things, if we do those things, we'll always be in the game. If, if we neglect those things and just try and work on their tendencies only, and then they come out in something different, we're going to get, we're going to be in a real bad spot, a real bad spot. And, and coach, just sorry to cut you off, but you, you said a word that really struck home at me. Right. So I, I guess people, if they, they feel powerless, right. And, and their anxiety is through the roof. You said the word control, right. Working on what you can control, like understanding what it is that you can control. Right. Um, having that control in your side is going to decrease that powerlessness. And just so I, I think it's important to think about what it is you can control in certain situations and really emphasizing that, really building on that. What do you think about that? A hundred percent. And think about uh, I'm just thinking as you're talking about it, think about even in our gym. Right. There was oh, I, mm-hmm. I, I need to bench on the good bench. I need to deadlift <laughs> with a good barbell. Right. And so when you talk about control, we would even try to factor that into our lifts like I need a good barbell. Nope, not today. What do you mean? Look, on test day, you might not get that barbell. Uh, Rob Mulligan may hide that barbell from you, which he did. I don't know if anybody remembers that story, but he did hide a barbell from Ryan Smith or Joe Sarno, one of those two guys, to, to try and – I think it might have been Ryan Smith who hit the barbell. I don't know. I think it was Ryan Smith. He hit it on Rob Mulligan. But things are going to happen. So you try and focus on what you can control, but I think you also have to make yourself prepared to understand that you can't control everything. And that's another part of this is knowing that you cannot control everything. So things that we would do is like throw in uh, competitive periods, but I wouldn't tell the coaches what that period was going to encompass. Maybe it's third and eight. Maybe it's uh, first and goal from the one. No coach knew what scenario they were going to be in, neither did the players. But then you always have to go back to, okay, what can I control? I'm used to, I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. What can I control? I can control how I'm going to pursue. I can control how I'm going to read my keys. I can control how we tackle and I can control how we pull that ball out of the guy's hand. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm just thinking about it because, you know, I'm going into my third year coaching basketball now and, 
you know, I remember last year, you know, granted these, these kids are young. Now they're in fifth grade last year, they were fourth grade, but fundamentally they weren't maybe as, as as sound as the top teams, which of course it made me a little angst. Right. But what I did try to focus more on in my practices later in the year was, all right, not can you dribble, you know, through your legs or can you make uh, around the back passes or shoot from the three point line. Right. I tried to put them in game time situations at times too. Um, practice that because, you know, a lot of times in games, especially with young kids, you know, even high schoolers, a situation come up, they look like deer in the headlights and they're like, what do we do? So I feel like simulating that for them, you know, helps decrease, you know, their powerlessness and, and give them more confidence to, to know what to do in certain situations. hundred percent. hundred percent. All right. Have we beaten this one to death? I think so. All right. Let's, let's go to the next one. Equation number three, disappointment equals expectations minus reality. So this is a good one just because people I've, I've, (laughs) this word has been (laughs) ringing through my head so many times over the (laughs) last, I'd say the last 10 years, just maybe 20 years. But I, I see people around me disappointed. There are times where I am disappointed. It's just a, it's a tough thing to be disappointed because your expectations are almost always higher than reality. Now, let, let's take this uh, from a high school football player perspective. There could be a kid who thinks, hey, I'll use me. I thought that when I was a sophomore in high school, I was like, ah, I should be going to the University of Michigan and play football. Hmm. I don't know why I thought that. Uh, maybe because I was a pretty good JV football player, but I was definitely not big enough to do that. Even in my senior year, I was on a team that went one and seven. Uh, I'm about five eight. I weigh about 190 pounds, and I thought that I should get a, uh, a you know, be admitted immediately into every single Ivy League school that there was. But the reality was that that wasn't going to happen. And for me, I'm thinking about well, how do you how do you do this? And this was a tough one. Do you lower your expectations? Well, that, that seems like a, a loser way of thinking. Like, ah, I shouldn't get into, I shouldn't get into anything. I, I shouldn't bench press 400 pounds. If you do that, then you won't be disappointed, except you also won't be very successful either. So for me, I think that there's two ways to handle this thing. One, you can either recreate your reality. So I could say, all right, yeah, I am 5'9", but I'm going to work my butt off to be able to run a sub 5040. And I'm going to work my butt off to be able to bench press in the high 300s so that my reality is different. I'm a different person than what I am right now. The other part is to reset expectations but not lower them, meaning go in with a I'm not supposed to be here chip on your shoulder. like Not like, oh, my God, I shouldn't be here. But nah, I shouldn't be here, and I'm going to be this miracle that walks through this door. I'm going to shock everybody. So uh, when Columbia – when Columbia sent me that letter and said, yeah, you're admitted to the school, but then the coach sent me a letter and said, yeah, but you'll never play football here, I, I was pretty disappointed. He said, you'll never play football anywhere, not even a D3 school. I, I was extremely disappointed because my expectations were high. But at a certain point, I said, you know what? I'm going to rewrite this expectation. Yeah, I'm not supposed to be here, but I'm going to make it miserable every day for you, coach, to get me off this field. I'm going to make it every day, every practice. I'm going to make you regret this decision of writing me that letter, which, by the way, is still hanging on my wall in my closet <laughs> right now. 
So that, for me, that's, that's what it is. And I think I see a lot of kids getting disappointed because they have expectations of getting into certain colleges that maybe they're not in reality suited for. But on the flip side, there's a certain group of kids and I've been training kids for a long time that haven't done everything in the world to change their reality. They haven't embraced what the expectation should be and they haven't done everything possible, eat all the right food, do all the right training, get all the right rest to say, yep, I've changed my reality. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff. I mean, I I think generally in life to coach like, People, it's, it's, it stinks to see people lower their expectations, right? And just because they don't want to get disappointed with things in life, you know, and, you know, even, even on certain things, you know, someone may have, you know, good expectations, good goals set for themselves, but there's always this lingering, oh, I'm a, I'm a big realist as well, you know, sort of, they're just, you know, more of like a fear of failing that they just don't want to look in the face, right? So, yeah, I feel, and it's funny, it is the word, it's disappointment, right? And if you lower those expectations, that that to me is disappointing, you know, because uh, reality is, is just going to, you know, stink as well, you know, it's, and I like what you said about recreating that reality and resetting your expectations, you know, you almost have to, at certain phases in your life, recalibrate, right? It's not you know, just starting from scratch or scrapping the plan, right? You're just kind of recalibrating. You're taking what you've done and picking the parts from it that might have worked or might have been, you know, successful or helped you and then building on that as opposed to just start, starting from scratch, so to speak. I, I, I think it's great. To, I mean, I, we can go into many areas on, on disappointment, right? Um, you know, even what, what do you think? How about, you, how about your career, coach? Like, how about you know, work career or, or coaching career, like were there moments where you were truly, truly disappointed because you either had such high expectations or reality was so much for you? And how did you deal with that? Right. How, how did you overcome that? Uh, yeah, I'd say there's, there's been a ton of times of, of disappointment. <laughs> I, I, I think I come back to common denominators uh, where you, you expect more from people or from a scenario that is really there. And, and maybe you think everybody's like you, or maybe you think everybody mm-hmm. always has the best of intentions, or maybe you think that the, the big thing will always work. And, and what's helped me recently, and I'll, I'll take this from like a, a work example, I, I've reset expectations to try and break big stuff down into small chunks. So the end goal is still the same, you know, and really it's where do we want to be? But I, taking a giant thing and breaking it into small segments, it's reset the expectation of, okay, let, let's just take this to it like a, a very simple example. I want to be able to go a mile. Well, instead of focusing on the expectation of getting to that mile, let's set the expectation first on one step, right? Like how do we get to this one step? And not only how do we get to that one step, how are we taking that one step? What is the system we're using to get that one step? So once we hit that, then we go to the next step, then the next step, and eventually we'll get to that mile. So for me, resetting that expectation into small, tiny, tangible chunks that are achievable, that's helped me realign the reality. Also, it helps you gain momentum. Those little quick wins, they start to build up into much bigger and bigger and bigger wins. Now, unfortunately, in, in the coaching world, take the gym, for example, 
it's rough because you think that you're constantly working with the elite of the elite and the expectation is, wow, this guy's going to want it as much as I want it for him. He's not ever going to miss a 5.15 a.m. workout. Never. There's nothing he would miss that for. And that's where I've been disappointed because guys will always miss. And you know the advanced training rule. If a guy says, uh, hey, can we move our Wednesday workout to Thursday? That guy, <laughs> 90% of the time, doesn't show up. And, and yeah. that's something that does break my heart. Because you talk about the other equation with powerlessness and uncertainty, it's hard to control what a kid, a 17-year-old kid, up to a 30-year-old man are going to do, or if they're going to hit their alarm clock, or if they're going to rather roll over in bed while you're waiting for them at uh, Bloomingdale Park. It happens. So that's the one thing. I haven't nailed that one yet. I haven't nailed that disappointment one yet. At work, with projects, that stuff's been good. But controlling the actions of a person being accountable, that's been the roughest, the roughest patch. I have not nailed that equation down. And that's – I feel like there's only so much you can do too. You know, you can't – you truly can't force someone to to do something. You know, it's – that's tough. But I do like a lot of what you touched on there and, you know, breaking it down, big stuff down into small parts. I mean that's – I attack a lot of things like that too, coach. And, and I found, and you really hit it, you know, those small wins, they do build momentum. They do accumulate, you know, at work, if I'm facing, you know, a task list of 20 things and I got to prioritize and execute those 20 things. A lot of times I may shuffle things around to just get some quick wins in there, right? Get check off four or five things that I can knock out quick, even though it may be a little lower on the priority list that built up some momentum for me so that I can sort of, you know, gain confidence, gain, you know, being able to, to reset and recalibrate and really, you know, lower that, you know, that overhead overwhelming feeling of looming disappointment. Right. So it definitely a good way. I think a lot of people should look at, you know, anything they face in that way. And, and you know what, maybe not always disappointment's not always a bad thing too, coach. You, what do you think about that? You know, you think maybe, you know, when you think about being disappointed, you know, Maybe sometimes that's good. Maybe you can learn from it, but also maybe that means you are setting high expectations for yourself, um, which in turn should be a good thing, right? Just people should have high expectations for themselves. And maybe getting disappointed more forces that person to, you know, have to do these things, right? To, you know, to really recreate that reality and reset those expectations, you know? So maybe disappointing, disappointment is more of a, a, a teacher, you know, as opposed to, you know, such a bad thing. What do you I, think? I agree. It's kind of like the, the Jocko Willings good, right? Like it, yeah. it is opening up an opportunity for you to find a new way. So uh, yes, have I, have I not found the way to make sure that every single guy in our program shows up to every single workout? No, ha- haven't found it yet. But we're getting closer, and we're, we're finding some crafty ways to get guys involved more. But if I wasn't disappointed by people not showing up, we wouldn't have come up with the systems and processes or even right. even just the uh, – I don't want to give away too many of the secrets that are going on, but <laughs> the, the things that we now have other guys doing to each other to get them there. Mm-hmm. You know, and some of it is you know, creating that hyper-competitive environment, creating a where-are-you-now you know, you're only as good as your last workout type of environment. Guys pressuring each other to do that, that helps limit the disappointment. And also it puts these guys being accountable to each other is way more important than them being accountable to me. Yep, absolutely. All right. We check. 
Ready for the last equation. Let's go. Equation number four, the last one. Happiness equals wanting what you have, gratitude, minus having what you want, gratification. So happiness equals wanting what you have, in other words, gratitude, minus having what you want, in other words, gratification. Yeah, and just one uh, minor correction on this one because I think I sent you the wrong equation. It's actually it's a, <laughs> it's a divided by, not a minus. So so let so let's let's do that from start. Let's do that from scratch. So I'll take it from the top. Equation number four: happiness equals wanting what you have. In other words, gratitude divided by having what you want. In other words, gratification. And, and people need to let this soak in because mm-hmm. you can have gratification. You can have a big car. You can have sick income. You can have a private jet. But you might not be happy because you might not actually want what you have. You might just keep wanting something else. And I, I think that gratitude, wanting what you have, is really one of the massive keys to happiness. And, and it, so, and that's part of the problem, right? Like you get a bigger house because your friend has a bigger house, <laughs> but now you got to maintain a bigger house, and you got to pay for the utility bills, and you got to have somebody mow your lawn that was twice as big as your own lawn, and now you got to clean <laughs> that house. So now, just back to that line in. Uh, heck is that movie fight club where he says uh, the things you own end up owning you and you you buy stuff you don't need to impress people you don't like that's pretty much what this thing rolls down to or you know i've seen plenty of people have a great job they're comfortable they're the best at their craft but something tells them i need to get that next promotion do you want that promotion because you, you like what you're going to do no i just need that title well now you're going to fall into that trap because you may have what you want, that gratification, but you may not want what you have. But I, I do think there's a delicate balance here because if you're totally uh, content, then you may not progress, right? You're either getting better or you're getting worse. So let's just say I'm happy with my 435-pound uh, deadlift. I, I have gratitude for it, but I don't want to deadlift 450. Well, then I'm probably never going to deadlift 450. So, but I think that the, the issue is when you have uh, you don't have gratitude, but you do have gratification. And I, right. I'll, I'll, I'll mention one guy specifically in the program, uh, Ski, from a, a long time ago. I think he's come, <laughs> coming back for training. He would have no gratitude. He would beat his PR in anything and be so upset that he didn't hit whatever number he had in his head. And I, I, the thing I say to him is be satisfied, but don't be content right like and maybe i said it the other way around but essentially like you should be happy about what you did strive for more but you should absolutely be happy about what you did you know have that gratitude have it or otherwise you're never going to have happiness and what's going on yeah that's that's deep stuff right you know we could probably dive into that a little bit i guess coach with, with work you know like I don't want any of your bosses at you know anywhere to listen to this and be like, oh, listen to this guy. But you know, at least in my perspective, you know, I don't you know necessarily with work. I'm not happy going there. You know, yeah, I I make good money 
right? You know, and it helps me do these things. But, you know, ultimately, a lot of times I, I get out of there and I'm just like, you know, what did I accomplish today? Right? What did I do? You know, um, that that gratitude is is low while I'm there, and the things I'm getting, you know, what are supposed to be the gratification from it all, isn't maybe as gratifying as I I once thought. So, you know, you kind of have to, in life, you have to find you know those things that do make you happy, do give you gratitude, right? If it's not work, but what can work do for you, right? Can it allow you? the work-life balance to be able to do those hobbies that you like, like coach, like train, like play sports with your friends, see your family and friends when, when you want to, you know, things like that. So I think you have to, when you're doing things like you just don't do it. Hey, I, I want to work at a big bank because I want a lot of money. You know, or what, what is that going to do for you? Right. What is that going to get you? You know, and you have to know, you know, what it is that, that you want, that that's going to make you happy. Um, in order to get that gratitude from it. So it, it's deep. It, it's deep to think about, Coach. I mean, there's many areas we can go with it, you know, if you think about it. And you, you, you buy the big car, and two weeks later, now it's normal. Now it's the new baseline, right? So it, <laughs> yeah. it, it's a, an odd person, and, I, and I'm lucky enough that my dad growing up, you weren't allowed to be upset. You weren't allowed to be like, oh, I'm too short. Oh, I'm fat. He'd be like, look, look, look down. You got two feet. Look at your hands. You got all your fingers. Like, how dare you be in a position where you don't yeah. have gratitude for what you have? And, and part of it was because uh, my mother's brother, my uncle, he had Down syndrome, and he lived to be like 72 years old, which is kind of like a, a miracle. But he, he was a focal point of our family because it would be, look, man, you think you have issues. This poor guy never got to experience life in the same way you did. And he, he really helped us appreciate our life. Uh, in, in many ways, I think he had a, a way better life than most other people just because of how loved he was. But he was the thing that regrounded us all the time. Have gratitude for the things that you have. And uh, I do remember specifically, too, when I was at Columbia playing football, and I shouldn't have been there. I probably shouldn't have been able to walk on. I shouldn't have been a part of that team. I was the smallest linebacker by at least 40 pounds and about five inches. And I'd be saying to my dad, man, I need to play, man. I need to get on the field more. I need to, my dad would say, kind of like in Rudy when he said, you're five foot nothing, 100 pounds nothing. <laughs> you should just be happy that you're there. Now, again, you got to balance it out with that loser mentality of just being happy to be around. But I think it is that balance of having that gratitude. Mm -hmm. I think you got to keep fighting. You got to want more, not material wise. That that'll end you material wise. Yep. But in terms of optimizing your abilities or helping the people around you optimize theirs, you got to want that. But you also have to be grateful for the things that you got. And I even say, as a coach, it's very easy to harp on all the bad stuff the athletes are doing or that you're training or coaching or doing. But it's uh, we've seen it actually be more effective when you start harping on the good stuff that they're doing. All right, maybe maybe three guys didn't hustle to the ball, but eight guys did. Let's let's jump on those eight guys. Let's focus on that because you'll drive yourself crazy otherwise. Yep. Yeah, that, that's powerful stuff, man. That 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 is. Um, and you know, you one thing you mentioned, you know, materials. You know that that's. I think if anything, history has taught us a, a lot. One of them is, you know, material isn't going to buy you happiness, right? I've never seen a, a Brinks truck follow a Hearst, right? You know, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to be the ultimate deciding factor of your happiness. And, you know, that hits a point and 
And I think society today is, is focusing more on the material, focusing more on what do you have uh, that's bigger, flashier, better than the other person and getting those, getting that satisfaction from that, getting those likes, you know, on social media to make you feel satisfied when in reality you're not wanting what you have, you know, you're basically just taking things that you want and pretending that it's, you know, fulfilling happiness in you somehow, you know, so it's, it's definitely a lot for people to think about. Although I think uh, Joe Rogan once said, you never saw someone look sad on a jet ski. <laughs> True. Uh, maybe they're just looking like they want to crap, crap themselves. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. What do you think? Anything I, else? Anything else on that I, one? I, I just uh, I keep going back and forth in my head yeah. because it, the, the gratitude part is extreme. And I know people, it's very effective to write gratitude journals. Mm-hmm. I think Tony Robbins had said that you can't be sad if you're grateful and I, I just, there is a lot of power in being grateful. It's just a matter of balancing out that, that gratification part with yeah. where you, you want more. Yeah. I want more, but what is it that I want? Is it, yeah. help? And, and for me, if you go back to like uh, the powerlessness part, the anxiety part, because that will, that'll creep up on you if you want stuff that's not in your control, but also the systems based approach for me that's helped the most is, how can I help somebody else? If I'm helping somebody else, then I'll never lose. Because at the end of the day, someone's winning here. This is not about me. It's not about making myself better. If I, if I can make somebody else around me better, then we both win. And if I failed, well, then at least I tried to make that person better. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely a great insight, Coach. I mean, that made me think about a lot right there, even, even those few things, you know, how like it makes me think about how much removing your yourself right just taking yourself out of this equation can you somehow you know increase you know that that gratitude you know in life you know like just thinking about it from that that's that's pretty powerful stuff too i mean what and i th- and i agree with you i think gratitude is the most important part of this i think we need to have more of that in our lives, everyone, everyone should. And, you know, are there, are there tips? I know you mentioned a gratitude journal. Can you go into that more? Are there, are there tips that you use in your, you know, your day to day that, you know, uh, helps you with being more aware of being gratified, you know, with, with what you have and and things like that? Uh, Yeah. uh, I think, well, I know every night before I go to bed, I, I say, okay, what are, what are three things that I am grateful for? It's, it, it's one of the things that I talk to myself about before bed. It's what am I grateful for? What did I do well today? What do I need to accomplish tomorrow? That, that's what I say in my head. Uh, I also know when I'm in church, I, I think a lot, a lot about God. Please, and this, you don't have to be religious to listen to this podcast, but I, I'm a spiritual guy. I'm religious. And I church, I don't say, oh, God, please help me do this, this, and this. I just say, God, thank you for X, Y, and Z. Thank you for these opportunities. And really try to focus more on what I am grateful for than anything else. But the journal actually works. The other thing I'll say at work, something that we did on Fridays, we'd have a reflection time with our team. And we would force a, what are you grateful for, for someone else in the team? Because now that person is a hearing what you're grateful for about them, and also you can reinforce a behavior that you want to see them continue to do. 
It's a great team building exercise. Yeah. And I remember growing up and, and I, I did stop it at a point in my life, you know, and thinking about it now makes me want to, you know, do it again. But before I went to bed at night, you know, I would log in and my laptop, you know, essentially I, I asked myself three main questions. It was, if I remember correctly, like, did I tell those I love that I love them? Did I say thank you to someone who did something nice for me? And did I either help someone or make someone laugh today? And I would try to check those boxes off each day. And, and I remember, you know, those, there may have been, you know, days where I didn't check those boxes off and sure as, you know, I, I would get out there and make it happen before I went to sleep because that gave me gratification and that, well, that, well, that made me happier. Right. So, and I think, you know, that, that, thinking of things like that, you know, the gratitude journal, like you mentioned, even checking, you know, some things off your list that, that help make you happier that aren't solely just about yourself. Right. Um, you know, I think that's, that's some good, good stuff to think about in life. And, and I, I'm thinking about this too, from like a, I mean, imagine just happiness. It's not just you. Maybe you're in a relationship, yeah. right? <laughs> How many guys do you know that have an unbelievable girlfriend or wife and they're, always looking for the next best yeah. thing. Oh man, I wish, wish my girlfriend had blonde hair or I wish she did this, this, and this, not focusing on the good that she, not being grateful, not having that gratitude for what you have. Like you could ruin your life and somebody else's life just by trying to get this gratification. Yep. It's not just about you. That's why I like what you said. Like when you're, you're writing your journal, it, it was impacts to other people. Yeah, it pretty much was. And, you know, and, as you get old, you know, as you get older, I know there's some, some young bucks that may listen to your podcast too, but, you know, you start to realize what you do, you know, your actions in life really, you shouldn't just think about how it, you know, what it does for you, right? There's, there's collateral effects of that on other people, right? And especially if you're in a committed relationship, right? You need to think about is what you're doing going to work for them as well because it impacts that person. It impacts your family. It impacts your loved ones. You know, it impacts your wife, you know, husband, whatever. Um, and you need to sort of take time to reflect on that. At least I found to say, hey, you know, am I having negative thoughts for some reason? Why am I thinking about it selfishly? If I am, then I know it's for the wrong reasons, right? If I'm not, then maybe there's something more to it. But, you know, you should be putting other people, you know, ahead of yourself or, or, in the mix, in the conversation for your actions as well, you know, and what they, you know, how it affects them. So let, let me ask you this as we are wrapping yep. this up. We went through four equations. If you were on a podcast with the entire world listening to it, which you're not, you probably have an audience of five, <laughs> but if you were, what, which one of these equations would you tell someone, you know what, just take this one take this one it, it'll have the the quickest impact on your life uh, after going through them with you coach and hearing your your thought and and the stuff it provoked to me i mean the happiness one was great but disappointment really kind of hit home there um and i, I just feel there's so many nuggets in there coach that could help people not only lower their disappointment but embrace disappointment too so there's like different sides to these coins that everyone on a personal level can dig into 
and really find ways to enhance, enhance their life by, you know, just either embracing disappointment or being able to set things that you know, set yourself up for not being as disappointed, you know, and as disparaged, you know? So I, I think that's really, that's a great equation to, to think about. It's funny you're, that you're saying that because for me, that was the one I'm like, eh, I don't <laughs> want to think about that one because it's not in my control because I'm a control freak, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm tired of being disappointed by people. And I was thinking about the despair one, like suffering, meaning that that stuff's pretty much yeah. in my. I can handle that, and I I take cold showers, I drink apple cider yeah. vinegar, I I do things to myself to make myself suffer. But now that you're saying it, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's not that's not the one that I need. Yeah. The one I need is disappointment. I need to be able to sort that out because. Yeah, that's the one that I don't have control over. Right. No, that, that's a great point. You know, it's almost like, you know, let, let's hit let's hit the hardest one. You know, by the by the you know the nail on the head there with the hardest one. And uh, you know, maybe we let we let off with despair. And you know, I think you and I were as the convo went on, we got more and more you know in depth and and on the same page with things and fed off certain things. But you know, regardless of where disappointment's at, I, I think there's some really powerful nuggets in there that, that we could explore for hours, you know, and you talk about and, and set things, you know, protocols and things like that, that could help, you know. And I'm also thinking this through that it could also be where you're at in your yeah. life. It looked like both of us, we figured out to an extent how to have gratitude. Uh, you might not be able to, if you're not taking care of yourself first, you might not even be able to get to this disappointment. Especially if you're absorbed in your own misery mm-hmm. or you're absorbed in your own problems, disappointment's probably not even a thought in your True. mind unless you're, blame, unless you're blaming people for your problems. Yeah. You know? And then ownership's another conversation to have, you know? Uh, yeah. Jocko's extreme yeah, ownership. Yeah, exactly. So uh, this, is, this has been uh, cathartic for me, even if two people listen to this. Yep podcast same i I think uh the the disappointment one is yeah how how do you alter your expectations or recreate expectations or recreate the reality to lessen that disappointment because that 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 is a thing that could frustrate you for eternity if you can't map that out absolutely right absolutely right it's great stuff all right man we are coming up on the hour i want to thank you for being a great co-host on this podcast uh, I'm not letting you get away easy, though. I have to ask you one, one question because I am a selfish person. Nick, give me uh, one productivity tip that has helped you become more efficient and effective in your life, in work, in the gym. It doesn't matter where. Oof, man, coach. Uh, I touched on a few things when we were talking, you know, like I'm kind of I'm a kind of guy who likes checklists. You know, I feel like that's pretty normal. You know, people organized people do like that stuff and. You know, and can, you know, people who like control, they like, they like to see things in front of them and check them off and, you know, do that sort of stuff. So that might be a, a standard answer. Um, the phone, I, I keep it on, you know, do not disturb, you know, most of the day because I find myself getting way too distracted by it most days. A lot of times I'll pick up my phone, coach, and the advanced training chat has 50 notifications. And, huh, you know, I didn't get disrupted once during work. I was able to be productive, but, you know, maybe maybe just to think about it from a different perspective, because I just recently did this. I bought a few new items of, you know, personal gear, you know, some some workout gear and some clothes for work and a pair of shoes. And what I like to do when I when I do that is, all right, I bought a brand new pair of shoes or I brought a, 
a new shirt. Um, now I need to get rid of one. Now I need to donate one. Oh, and love it. So it takes time because over, you know, you, you start to not only really think about the ones you want to keep. So then now you have to let something go and you're like, damn, I, I kept this one for a reason at a certain point in time. And you, you know, you start to think about things other than just, Hey, I got this new piece of clothing and I want to get rid of it and I have to get rid of something else. So one, it, it sort of, it keeps me in check with that. It, it allows me not to build clutter. That's something I've, you know, my whole life coach, uh, I've moved houses and into places about five or six times, maybe more. I, I mean, I've lost count. Right. And so I've noticed over the years, man, I, I collect a lot of stuff. I collect stuff that has absolutely, you know, no meaning at certain points in time and things that don't fit things that just, I don't use. And, you know, every, you know, every quarter I try to, even if I don't buy something new, I, I sort of do like a inventory. All right. This is what I have right now. Do I still need this? Is this doing anything for me? Am I going to use it? If not, I'm donating that. And, you know, I harped on, I harped on that a little bit because, you know, a lot of people would just probably throw it out, throw it in a dumpster, you know, get rid of it. But if it's something that maybe I'm not using, maybe someone else can use it too, right? So maybe right. you can take that and spin it into an even more positive thing, not just removing clutter and, you know, making things simpler for yourself, but helping someone else. You know, I'll call up, you know, I think it's the VVA or whatever and say, hey, can you pick all X, all this stuff up, clothes, you know, electronics, things like that I'm getting rid of. And they're more than happy to do it. And, you know, any drives, I'll, I'll happily drop things off at. It gives me a good opportunity to not only remove clutter, but reassess what's important to me, what I need, what's essential, um, and, and really, you know, help me out that way. And, you know, it, it helps, helps you carry that forward into many other areas of life, too. I think that links nicely to the gratitude part as yep. well. You are grateful for what you have. Absolutely. What, we're going to wrap this up with a uh, bad decision to stay out of the advanced training group chats. You are missing out. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll catch myself up from time to time and have a good chuckle. Um, I definitely like that. I threw Torres in there last night and things got real quiet until the big cat uh, said something. So until he woke up and checked his phone. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that was good. All right, Jimmy, thank you very much. Excellent podcast. And we are out. Thank you very Thanks, much coach. Bye.